Well, thanks to our media team for another amazing video. And I uh, just wanna say again, no one was hurt in the making of that video. It's all for fun. I don't want any emails or text messages or anything like that, no comment cards. And by the way, I wanna issue a warning. If you're out trick-or-treating with your kids this week and you see somebody wearing a Rams football uniform, get out of the way, okay? You've been warned. Well, good morning. Welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. We have family right now joining us from Stone Canyon, as well as others who will be watching online. If you would, take a moment, welcome them into our services here today. Last week, I mentioned that I'm not a huge fan of scary movies, and my wife, Allison, is. But something I've got to tell you is even though she loves scary movies, she's a mess after she watches them. Like, she likes to be scared, but then for a week after she watches one of those movies, she's like looking over her shoulder. She can't sleep at night. She's scared to death. And that reminded me of a video that I saw years ago. I think I first saw it on America's Funniest Videos of some boys, some brothers who watched the movie Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They were scared to death afterwards and so they slept with the light on in their room. They even slept together in the same bed, huddled together because they were scared to death and their parents couldn't pass up the opportunity to play a prank on them. So take a look at this video. I don't know if you heard the kid at the end, but he said, what's wrong with you? Some of you guys are probably wondering the same thing. Yeah, that dad's probably not going to get the dad of the year award, but it was all done in fun. They got him, they surprised him in fun. At least I think it was done in fun. Now, some surprises are fun, some are not. And that's what we even talked about in this series, especially on a spiritual level. On a spiritual level, there are things that sneak into our lives, behaviors, feelings, emotions, that will sneak up on us that have the potential of wrecking our lives if we're not careful. We're calling these things blind spots, and that's what this series is all about. And we're looking at some of these things that we don't always see coming, but maybe we should. Things like negativity, compromise, self-righteousness, envy, anger, irrelevance, burnout. These things have a tendency to creep into our lives, and we never plan on being negative, or we never plan on burning out, but one day, surprise, that's who we've become, because we've let these things, we've let these things grow in our own spiritual lives. And so if you're new here today, we're defining blind spots in this way. They're hidden, ignored, or overlooked obstacles that threaten to derail our relationship with Jesus or disrupt the calling he's placed on our lives. And so today, we're gonna look at another one of these blind spots, and the fourth blind spot in our series is this, envy. Now, if we're going to have a real discussion, a real conversation about envy, I think we need to make sure we're all on the same page. So this is how I'm defining envy today. Envy is a feeling of discontentment aroused by jealousy of someone else's success, social status, or stuff. Let me say that again. It's a feeling of discontentment aroused by jealousy of someone else's success, social status, or stuff. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but this is all over the place. Envy permeates the culture we live in today. It's everywhere, and it could happen to the best of us. I'm not sure if you know this, but I'm a pretty big UK basketball and football fan. I think I've shared that once or twice since I've been here over the past nine months. Uh, but we actually have a football team this year. Uh, we are in right now seven and one. And so I thought I would leave this up throughout the sermon. 
just so in case you didn't know, you're aware, we are 7-1. We are in the hunt right now for the SEC East title. We could actually play in the SEC championship game if we beat Georgia next week. I don't know if that will happen, but it's, it's exciting. At this point in the season, we're 7-1. and one. And I'm not going to leave you guys out. Hey, OSU had a good game last night, a surprise win. And then OU had a big win as well. So, hey, we're all good, but Kentucky is 7-1. and one, So I just want to say that again. But my favorite sport is basketball. I'm very excited that we have an awesome uh, football team. I'll take this down for now. But I'm very excited we have an awesome football team. But my favorite sport is basketball. And our basketball season kicked off a couple weeks ago with an event that we like to call Big Blue Madness. And this is the first open practice, and they invite the fans to come in. But here's the thing, to get to Big Blue Madness, it's more than just a practice. Like I said, this is an event, this is an experience. People will wait in line for days. I'm not kidding. They will camp out for days to get tickets to this event. Celebrities show up, and they've got all the you know, laser lights and fireworks inside. It's held at Rupp Arena, which holds like 24,000 people, and there is not an empty seat. People are still trying to get in by the time it starts. It is an awesome event to go to. In fact, I've got a picture of Big Blue Madness. This is what it looks like. This is one year, and Alice and I have had the chance to go to this a couple different times, and normally when we've had the chance to go, it's because I bought tickets off eBay, and I don't have a whole lot of money, so normally the tickets we get, that's our view right there. You know, we're sitting at the very top of Rupp Arena watching this, but it's still a lot of fun. But one year, we had this couple in our church who had some ties, some connections to UK Athletics, and and they got his lower arena seats. He said, hey, we got a couple extra lower arena seats. Do you want to go? We were like, sure we do. These, these tickets go for hundreds of dollars a piece if you, if you want them. And we were, uh, we were able to, uh, to sit about 25 rows up from center court, lower arena. It was awesome. There's awesome seats. And we got there, and we were so excited to be there. And we're just enjoying our seats. But I had a buddy, a friend, who was also going. He got his tickets off eBay, and he was uh, way up high. And normally this guy, he finds a way to to get like really good seats and so I'm thinking this is one UK event that we're going to be down low he's going to be up high and I text him to see if he got there okay and he's like yeah I'm here and you will never believe what happened to me and I'm like what he says I was walking in the arena and there's this older lady who's standing by the door and she said hey I got a couple extra tickets I'm not going to use if anybody wants them and my buddy goes well where are they they were right behind UK's bench. She gave them to him for free, gave them to him. And he's texting me pictures. I mean, he's right behind Coach Calipari. He's high-fiving the players. And I'm sitting there in my 25 rows up center court, lower arena seats, and I'm starting to get a little mad. I'm like, how did this happen? How in the world did he get those seats? That stuff like that never happens to me. I never run into some random elderly lady who's got free tickets and that good of tickets. And I'm just starting to fume a little bit. And Allison looks at me and she says, what is the matter with you? Because I'm not enjoying Big Blue Madness at all. She said, what is the matter with you? I said, I can't believe you got those seats. And she said, Chad, these seats were given to us. We're in low arena, best seats we've ever had for Big Blue Madness. And you're sitting beside me. What else could you want? I said, well, I could be sitting beside you behind the bench. That's where, that's what could be better. But no, I didn't really say that. She was right. And here I was letting, I was letting that information about my buddy, I was letting the fact that he got better seats ruin my experience. Why? I should have been happy for my friend. And yet in that moment, I started to compare our situations. And I got a little envious. It can happen to the best of us. We can become envious of something silly, something dumb, before we even realize it. And that's what envy has the ability to do. Envy will control us, consume us, and eat at us before we even realize what's going on. And I think oftentimes we don't see envy for what it is 
because we don't want to call it envy. We make excuses. And so we say, hey, I'm not being envious. I'm just all about fairness. And this just isn't fair that someone has what I don't have. We say, I'm not really being envious. I'm just admiring or noticing what someone else has to the point that I'm obsessed about it. It's not envy. I just desire to better myself. And in order to better myself, I want the life that that person is living. But here's the thing. When we call envy something other than what it is, we lose sight of just how dangerous and how destructive it can be. See, if we're going to have an honest conversation about envy, we have to call it what it is. We have to call it what the Bible calls it. And the Bible calls it sin. Envy is sin. And our spiritual progress is always halted by sin. That's why the Bible warned us about envy, James 3.16. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. Did you catch that? Where there's envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder, there is chaos in every kind of evil practice. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. You see, envy will eat at us from the inside out. Envy will destroy us from the inside out. The Bible warns us that envy can be extremely dangerous. And you know why? Because every minute you spend wishing you had someone else's life is a minute spent wasting the life God gave you. We often spend so much of our time consumed with other people's lives that we waste and even destroy the life that God has given us. And what envy is, it's a gateway for other sin. Because here's the thing, envy really isn't an action that we commit. It's an attitude that we cultivate. I mean, there's not a moment where we actually like commit envy, so to say. It's just an attitude, it's a spirit that we develop over time. See, other sins, we can actually commit physical acts uh, like you know, murder. You actually commit murder or uh, lying. When you tell a lie, that's when you commit that sin. Or when you steal something, I mean, you commit that sin when you take something that's not yours. We get that, but envy doesn't work like that. Envy is an attitude. It's a spirit that we develop, but it's dangerous because it's an attitude that will drive us to commit sinful actions that can wreck and destroy our lives. That's why it's so dangerous. And we see this played out at the very beginning of the history of the human race. In Genesis chapter four, we already see envy being very destructive. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go and turn with me to Genesis chapter four. That's where we're gonna be camped out. If you have our First Church app, you can follow along uh, in the scripture there. If you don't have any of those things, you can read uh, the screens behind me because we'll have the scripture printed for you there. And those of you who have studied the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, before you know that the plot of the Bible changes very quickly. On page one of the Bible, we see God creating his perfect universe and everything is right the way it needs to be. But by page three of the Bible, we've shattered this perfect picture of the universe that God painted with sin. And then by page four or maybe page five, depending on how your Bible's formatted, we see the very first murder recorded in human history. What happened? Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, kills his brother Abel in cold blood. And you know what the motive was? Envy. So let's read and see what happens. Genesis chapter four, and we'll start at the very first verse of Genesis chapter four. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. 
Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We're at the very beginning of human history. And there's already been a murder take place. And the motive, like I said, it's clear. Envy. Cain was so angry with his brother because his brother received a blessing from God that he didn't receive. That he not only is upset with his brother, he plots out a murder scheme and then he carries out that scheme. And then after he carries it out, God calls him, calls him out and says, what happened? And he lies about it and says, I don't know what happened to my brother. Am I my brother's keeper? See, again, that's what envy does. It leads to more and more and more sin. Envy can negatively drive, influence, and control our lives, especially when we allow it to fester and grow. And I think we're given this sad and unfortunate passage, the very beginning of Scripture, in order to warn us about the dangers of envy. So let's see what we can learn about envy from this text. And the first thing I think we can walk away with is this. Envy creates relational damage. Envy will always negatively affect the relationships we have with others. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you are envy, envious in some way or another that you're going to turn around and commit murder. I'm not saying that. But this is what envy does. Envy will build unnecessary, unnecessary walls between you and other people. It will lead you to turn others into unnecessary enemies. And you will feel the need to either put somebody down in order to make yourself feel better or you will just totally ignore someone, avoid someone in order to make yourself better simply because they have what you don't have. Envy will cause bitterness, jealousy, and even hate to grow in your heart towards another person. And you may not physically attack another person out of envy, but you may turn them into a social and psychological enemy. And what ends up happening is this, we're tempted to spread gossip about that person. We're tempted to verbally abuse that person. We're tempted to attack that person's character. We're tempted to become cynical about that person and not see any good in them at all and treat them poorly. Envy motivates behaviors that negatively affect our relationships with others. And I hope that in my short time of being here so far, I've been here about nine months, I hope that one thing you know about me is Anytime I preach on a certain subject, I'm not up here pointing the finger at you guys and saying, you all better shape up and get your act together. It's not how I preach. We have a conversation together about these subjects in Scripture because I'm right there with you. I'm in the same boat. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God, and I struggle just like you guys do, and we're all just trying to follow Jesus, and I'm only up here because of His grace. 
And so I just want you to know, this is something on occasion I've struggled with too. And let me give an example of that. A few years ago, I went to a Christian conference. I was already in ministry, and I went to a Christian conference for church leaders. I'm there with a friend of mine. We're walking down the hallway, and all of a sudden, this guy passes by us, and he notices me, and he says, hey, Chad, how you doing? And I was kind of cold, and I was like, oh, I'm fine. How about you? And he's like, oh, I'm doing great. We need to get caught up. And I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe. And I just kept walking. Like, I just ignored him. I brushed him off. And that's not me, typically. And the friend that I was with knew that. And he said, Chad, what's up? Do you not like that guy or something? I was like, was it that obvious? He said, yeah, it was obvious. He's like, what's the matter? What did that guy do to you? I said, well, let me tell you what he did to me. We were in school together. And that guy, he just got everything. Everything was handed to him. He was always the guy that was asked to speak in chapel. He was always the guy that the, that the professors were praising. He was the fair-haired child when I was in college. And then he got out of college, and immediately he went into this large church because he had family connections and ties. And I didn't have any of those family connections or ties. Everything just came so easy for him. And my friend looked at me, and he goes, but what did he do to you? I said, well, he has, and then I caught myself, he has what I don't have. And I was convicted in that moment. I knew I was wrong, but I never put in the words. And I found that guy at that conference, because I knew I needed to. And I went to him, and we sat down, we talked, and I apologized to him, because we went way back. I said, listen, I have never never really been close to you for a reason and that's because and I went through and I said I've been envious of you at times and I'm sorry I said it's I've been a jerk to you and I'm sorry and he looked back at me and he said Chad well I hate to admit this but there have been times I've been envious of you I didn't know that he hit it better than me but I didn't know that and so we started to talk we became friends and to this day I am close friends with this guy now, he lives on the other side of the country, so we don't get to see each other at the time, but we text one another, we call one another, we email one another, and in fact, before I left the last church I was at to come here, when I was processing all that, I called him up. We talked for two hours about the possibility of me moving here, and I said, I just need your godly wisdom and advice. That's how close we are now. And I have a great godly friend in him that for years I didn't have because of envy. Envy can ruin relationships. They don't need to be ruined. And the reason why envy can do that is because it's deceptive. It can disguise itself to the point that we don't even realize what it is. And so like I said, we make excuses. And we'll say things like, I don't like that person. Well, why don't you like them? Well, they're just too nice. Really? <laughs> they're just too nice? Ever heard somebody say that? Or she's just too pretty. Is that her fault that she's pretty? You don't like that person because she's pretty? Or they're just too successful. You're upset because somebody else has success? Or maybe we start to even judge people. See that guy over there? He's ripped. He works out all the time. He must be insecure. You know, we start to make those excuses. Or see that new house that they bought? That big old house? I bet they're in debt up to their eyeballs. Well, we all know how she got that promotion. Have you ever said this one? Hey, if I had money like they have money, I wouldn't waste it like they're wasting it. We start to judge people. And it's just a disguise for the envy that we have in our hearts. Abel did nothing wrong. He did not directly do anything to Cain. Abel simply did what was right in God's eyes. He offered an honorable sacrifice before God, and God was pleased with that. So why was Cain angry at Abel, angry at his brother? It's the same reason why I was upset with my buddy who got better tickets for Big Blue Madness. Same reason why I was upset with the guy who I saw at the Christian conference. Same reason why we make those comments that I just gave you. Cain started playing the comparison game. 
And here's the thing, envy is always rooted in comparison. Now, envy's been around for a long time, since the days of Cain and Abel. Some people would argue before the days of Cain and Abel. Some people would say the reason why Eve ate the forbidden fruit is because she was envious of God, envious of God's knowledge. Envy has been around for a long time, but I'm not sure if there's ever been a culture that's been more drawn into playing the comparison game than the one we live in right now. And I think there's a major reason for that. It's called social media. Because on social media, we have the ability to peek into the lives of our neighbors in a way like we never have been able to before. And here's the thing, envy is driven by awareness. And the more aware we are of our neighbors, the more envious we become. So somebody remodels their kitchen in their home, guess what? They post pictures on Facebook. Somebody goes on vacation, guess what? They put those pictures up on social media. Somebody goes on a date, they're tweeting about it. Somebody goes out to eat at a fancy restaurant, they're putting it up on Instagram. Somebody gets a promotion, it's up on social media. They're celebrating it on social media. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with posting posts of that nature. And I'm not saying that social media in and of itself is evil or wrong. I've been told that it does offer some good things. I've been told that at least. But I also know this. Social media is a breeding ground for envy. And if you are on social media all the time, like addicted to it, you might need to ask yourself why. If you're constantly checking up on other people to see what they're doing, why? And if you put a post up and you immediately want to check it to see how many likes you've got or how many people are following it, you need to ask yourself why. Because constantly playing the comparison game is not only exhausting, it's destructive. And that was the case for Cain. Cain saw his brother as a problem, but his brother wasn't the problem. It was Cain's own attitude. Envy was driving his life. And envy created relational damage that didn't need to exist. But that's what envy does. Now, something else this passage teaches about envy is that envy masks our, our real problem. Because here's the thing. Envy is not a people problem. It's not that we have a problem with the person. Envy is also not a situation problem. It's not because somebody else is in a better situation than us. No, envy is a heart issue. It's a heart problem. And most of the time we have envy because our relationship with the one who really matters isn't right. See, if you're constantly focused on what someone else has, you will ignore and overlook what God is doing for you and what God has already done for you. So you end up never thanking God for the house that you live in because your neighbor lives in a bigger house. And you end up never being grateful for the car you drive because your neighbor drives a nicer car. And you end up not thanking God for the job that you have because your neighbor has a job where he or she makes more money. And what I've discovered over time is this. There is a huge relationship, a strong relationship between envy and gratitude. As envy increases, gratitude decreases. As gratitude increases... Envy decreases. See, Cain, we have no indication that he lived a rough life at all. Cain, he worked the fields, and he brought in some great crops. I mean, Cain lived, from all indication, a pretty nice life. God had given him a successful career working in the fields. But what was Cain's problem? He was focused on what he didn't have. He was focused on what his brother had. I once had a mentor who told me, I defy you to show me an envious man who's at peace. I think there's some real wisdom there. When ignored, envy sucks the joy out of the life that we currently have, the life that God has given us. 
Envy isn't a people or a circumstance issue, it's a heart issue because envy is the result of our relationship with God not being what it should be. And I think God tries to let Cain know this. Look at what he tells Cain in verses six through seven. We've already read these verses, but look at them again in chapter four of Genesis. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your faith downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right before me, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God is letting Cain know something. There's no reason for you to be mad at your brother. You're not right with me. You're not doing what's right in my eyes. That's why you're having this issue. And apparently the reason why God didn't approve of Cain's offering is because Cain didn't give God his all. See, Abel says offered God his very best. And Cain kept his best back for himself. I think this tells us something about Cain. Cain found his identity, his self-worth in his stuff and the public perception that people had of him rather than God, and that's what envy does. Envy masks our real problem. Because here's the thing, even if we got everything we're envious of, it still wouldn't bring us lasting happiness. Even if the person that we're envious of failed completely and we watched them fail, it still wouldn't make us happy. You know why? Because there's always a bigger fish out there. It doesn't matter how nice your stuff is, there's somebody else out there that has nicer stuff. It doesn't matter how thin you are, there's always somebody out there who's thinner. It doesn't matter how smart you are, there's always somebody out there who's smarter. It doesn't matter how smart your kids are, there's always somebody out there who has a smarter kid. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, there's always somebody out there who has more wealth. No matter how good your life may be, someone else's life always looks better. When I was a kid and my parents would take me trick-or-treating, I had an orange pumpkin bucket, kind of like this one, a plastic bucket. Anybody ever go trick-or-treating with one of these or something similar to this? Let me see the hands, okay, several of you. I go trick-or-treating and I had a problem. I would fill this thing up pretty quickly. So I'd have to go dump it out and, and fill it up again. That was always my problem. And so Alex, he started trick-or-treating a few years back and we got him a pumpkin bucket. It was a little bit different. It was actually a cloth one. Allison wanted him to have a little bit nicer bucket, but still similar in size and he had the same problem. He would go trick-or-treating, he'd fill that bucket up so then you have to dump it out and get some more because we lived in a neighborhood where there are a lot of different options to get candy so I was talking with Alex just a few weeks ago and I was just like are you excited about going trick-or-treating and he said yeah and I just watched a sermon of a friend of mine who preaches at a pretty large church and I was watching him preach and he was talking about that when he went trick-or-treating he gave up the plastic bucket a long time ago and what he decided to do he and his buddies is to get a pillowcase and go trick-or-treating with, uh, with a pillowcase and fill this up. It's easy to handle, you can fill it up with a lot more candy. And when I heard my friend say this in his sermon, I thought, this is genius. Why did anybody ever tell me about this when I was a kid? This is awesome. So I'm telling Alex about my friend who used a pillowcase. He said, Daddy, I wanna do that, I wanna take a pillowcase. I'm like, buddy, I don't think your mom will go for that. She wants you to look cute and so she wants you to carry around the pumpkin bucket and all that. And he said, well, we just need to find a bigger pumpkin bucket then. And we were at Target just a few days later and we were looking around and he found the bucket for him. This is what he wanted me to buy him. Are you ready for this? Is this thing not awesome? I mean, look at that. 
It's like, Daddy, I got to get it. He couldn't even carry this thing, this full of candy, you know, but that's, that's what he wanted. He wanted this bucket. I said, well, buddy, what happens if you fill that up? Now, he wouldn't, and we wouldn't let him get that much candy, but I was like, what happens if you fill that up? He said, we bring the pillowcase, and we dump it in the pillowcase, then we go and get more. He had a plan. He was ready to go. But what does this tell us about kids? No amount of candy for a little kid is enough, is it? Until the parents cut them off, they never have enough. And sadly, sometimes we're the same way. It doesn't matter what we get. If our relationship with God isn't right, and if we're not finding contentment in him, we will never have enough. We will always be looking for something else or someone else to make us happy. Envy isn't a people or a circumstance issue. It's a heart issue. Envy is the result of our relationship with God not being what it should be. And the antidote for envy? Contentment with God. See, when you realize whose you are, you no longer care about what you have. Life isn't all about having what everyone else has. It's about knowing whose you are and doing life with him. Remember what I said at the beginning of this message. Every minute you spend wishing you had someone else's life is a minute spent wasting the life God gave you. So in the passage that we looked at, Genesis chapter 4, God tells Cain something. He says, sin is crouching at your door. And what God is letting Cain know is, you better make some changes. If you don't make some changes in your life right now, envy is going to get the best of you. And Cain didn't make the necessary changes he needed to make. But I don't want that to be the case for us. And I dare say in a group this size, there is somebody, probably a lot of people today, struggling with envy. So let me give you some practical steps for overcoming envy and fighting against it. And here they are. First, identify the envy in your life. Whatever it is, call it what it is. Identify it. Stop pretending. Be honest about who or what you're envious of. Second, seek God and repent. Acknowledge to God, I've been going in the wrong direction. I've been letting envy control me. And call envy what it is. It's a sin. So repent to God and let him know that you're sorry and then let him start to lead your life. Third, celebrate the life God's given you. Stop taking for granted what he's given you and actually celebrate the life that God has given you. Remember, as gratitude increases, envy decreases. So do you really appreciate the house you live in? If you're living in a house right now, there are probably a ton of people out there who would love to have the house that you're living in. If you have a job right now, you're paying the bills and you're making it yeah it may not be the best job in the world but I guarantee there's somebody out there who would love to have the job you have right now the car you drive it may not be the best car in the world it may not be a car that when you go down the street people turn their head and look at it but still if it gets you where you need to go it works there are probably people out there who would love to have a running car like you have what about your family do you really appreciate your family are you present with them like you should be what about your spouse do you appreciate your spouse there are people out there that are very lonely who would love to have a spouse to spend the rest of their life with. What about kids? Are you appreciative of your kids? Do you thank God for them? There are couples out there who would love to have children, but for some reason or another, they can't. Are you grateful for your kids? Are you grateful for the life that God has given you? And then the fourth thing that I want to challenge you to do, and this is a tough one, I want you to celebrate someone you've been envious of. Now, this is tough, but you will be surprised at how celebrating someone else you've been envious of will strip your heart of envy. Now, I know there's probably English teachers in the room, and that's not proper English to innocence with a preposition. I know, I'm aware of that, but I don't know how else to say it, to make it as plain as I can. Celebrate someone you've been envious of. 
Celebrate that person that you've been envious of. And when you celebrate them in a very tangible way, it will bring you great freedom. That person at your place of work that you're always criticizing or judging or whatever, or you always cut them down because you're envious of them, celebrate an idea they present. Say, yeah, that really is a good idea. That lady that you're always jealous of because all the men are attracted to her and looking at her, tell her that she looks good. Somebody gets the new iPhone, say, hey, that's great. I'm glad you got the new iPhone. I'm still on an iPhone 4S, but hey, that's great that you have the new iPhone. You might be saying, hey, I still got a flip phone. That's cool. I'm glad you got the new iPhone. That's great. Ashley Wooldridge is the senior minister of Christ Church of the Valley, and I was listening to him preach not too long ago, and he actually challenged his family around the dinner table one night to go out and celebrate someone that they've been envious of. And so he asked his family the question. He said, how about, uh, I want you guys to name someone right now that you wish could be knocked down a notch or two in your life. Somebody right now who you wish could be humbled a little bit, knocked down a notch or two. And they all came up with a name. And he said, that let him know right away, envy is a big problem, a real problem. Because every one of his family members, see, and he has a bunch of kids, every one of them had a name that they wanted to see not knocked down a notch or two. And then he looked at him, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you this week to go out and celebrate that person in some way. And one of his teenage daughters immediately said, I'm out, Dad, not doing it. No, I'm done. And you might be thinking right now, as I get to this point, saying, go out and celebrate someone you've been envious of. You might be thinking, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. But you will be surprised at how freeing it will be. Because here's the thing. When you can celebrate the person that you've been envious of, it shows that you care more, that you care more about whose you are than what you have. So I want to challenge you to do that this week. And when you do that, when you realize whose you are, you can find true contentment, lasting contentment in him. Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now that last line that I just read, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Other translations say, I can do all things through him, through Christ who gives me strength. That is one of the most misquoted verses, lines in all the Bible. Because you know how we typically use that? We say, hey, I can go out and I can conquer the corporate world because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can go out and I can win that ball game because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I've been persecuted. I've been beat. I've been, I've been attacked. I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to go naked. I know what it's like to have clothes. I know what, it, I know what it's like to be hungry, and I know what it's like to be well-fed. And I have learned how to be content no matter the circumstance. I can be content in every circumstance because it's Christ who gives me strength. That's what Paul is saying. And that's a totally different perspective on that verse if you've never heard that before. But Paul is teaching us that no matter what your life situation may be, you can find contentment through Christ. Because what Paul is trying to teach us is this. If you have Jesus, you have enough. No matter what happens to you, no matter what somebody does to you, no matter what someone else has that you don't have, if you have Jesus, you always have enough. If you're not content right now, if you're harboring jealousy in your heart, if you're envious of someone else, we want to let you know how you can have true contentment in Jesus. So as we end this message and we have our time of next steps, we hope that you will seek him and our church would love to help you find him.
Because when you have Jesus, you always have enough. Don't let envy win the battle for your heart. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this moment we've had to open up your word and learn from it. And as we've looked at another warning from, your, from, script, from Scripture, Father, we just pray that we take this warning seriously. That, Father, we would realize just how destructive envy can be and that we will not let it win in our lives. But, Father, we will find true contentment, lasting, eternal contentment in your Son, Jesus. Because when we have him, we always have enough. Thank you so much for giving us a new life in Jesus. And it's through his name that I pray. Amen.